Last night we covered Jesus' life on earth prior to his resurrection. And we used the Christmas carol to introduce many of the topics. We covered the temptations of Christ and we looked at Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. We covered uh, the, the phrase, in the fullness of time and my hour has not yet come by asking the question, what time is it? We covered his miracles and why he did those uh, various miracles. And we ended up with Lord meets Lord. Yahweh meets the Greek word Kyrios. You'll find when you read in your Old Testament, you see those uppercase letters for Lord. And in the New Testament, it's just capital L and lowercase O-R-D. Because that's how they chose to translate Yahweh in the Old Testament. So when Lord meets Lord, we're talking about... We'll get to that shortly. And so today we're going to cover Jesus' life post-resurrection. Let's face it, so many things happen on that one Easter, that one Passover weekend. And so we'll be talking tonight about the post-resurrection. So... What we're going to talk about is ladies first, and that will be the folks that first came upon the empty tomb. Angelus were angelophanes. Touch me not. That's not a flower. The flower is forget me not. Touch me not. Ladies and then gentlemen. And then ultimately, the importance of the resurrection. I'll start right there. Why is the resurrection so important? I'm sorry? Because we're going home. Because we're going home. That's exactly right. And what did you say? Be because he came back to life. So why is it important that he came back to life? Somebody else. So we can come back to life. That's right. The Bible says that if Jesus had not raised, we would still be in our sins. And we of all men are most miserable. Okay, so this is where we ended up last night. The great I Ams. Each one of those is Yahweh, bread of life. Yahweh, light of the world. We covered all of them but the last one. We're not going to cover that tonight. But I did want to say this. Does anybody know who that guy is? He's a, pardon? Someone in here? No, no, this guy's world famous, except the audience right here. <laughs> That's Bob Lentz, and he is a speaker to young people. And the message he wants to get to young people, let's face it, some people uh, mature earlier than others. Now, there's the, there's the jock, and then there's the guy that's on the chess team, right? And there's the guy that's on the deeds list, and there's the guy that's struggling. And his message is to the chess team guy and the guy that's struggling. There's the cheerleader, and there's the ugly duckling. There's the person, here's where it really hurts. There's the person that's completely fit. And then there's the person with some kind of a disability. And his message is, we each have worth. And his famous saying is, when the world says no way, we say Yahweh. So we're going to borrow again from that Christmas carol and take a look at that phrase, the everlasting light. But we'll talk about it with respect to the resurrection. The Lord is risen. 
The Lord is risen indeed, yes. Resurrection Day. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, ladies first, took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now I'm going to spend some time on these women, but the only reason I'm going to go into a great number of details is because we have one Mary, we have two Marys in the class. And so we're going to spend some time talking about Mary. Yes, James? Well, they may have taken some spices to Lazarus too, but Jesus was in the grave three days. I'm sorry, Lazarus, Jesus was in the grave three days, but Lazarus was in the grave four days. So this is the only point I want to make with the women. They were faithful. We're going to see verses where this block of women, they ministered unto Jesus during his life. They were at the cross. Where were the other ten apostles? The only one that was there was John. And then they're the first ones on the scene on Easter Sunday morning. The Bible says, Moreover, it is required of a steward that a man, that a person, be found faithful. They were faithful. Okay? So, the first one I want to talk about is this lady Joanna, wife of Husa. And Luke 24, 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the disciples. What did they tell? The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. We just read that verse. But let's look back and see about this particular lady, Joanna. After this, Jesus, this is much earlier, this is before the crucifixion. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with them, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, she's everywhere. She's the superstar. We're trying to figure out who some of those other Marys are, but this one there's no doubt. It's Mary Magdalene. From whom seven demons had come out, Joanna... The wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's, Herod's household. Now, if he was the manager of Herod's household, I don't think he was the one who took the head off of John the Baptist. That would have been a soldier or an executioner. But he may have been the one who was told in the banquet room of Herod that the Herod says, Guess what my daughter wants? for her birthday. And then he had to go and tell the soldiers. But there's his wife. Was she impacted by the life of John the Baptist? Was her husband impacted by the life of John the Baptist and he shared the news? Have we been impacted by John the Baptist? No. Well, no. He said, behold the Lamb of God. Yeah, you read John chapter 1 and then come back and tell me yes, okay? <laughs> the Bible says John the Baptist came. He was not the light, that was Jesus. But he came to bear witness to the light. And when he came up to Jesus, he said, Oh, disease and stuff. Okay, we're, we'll, we'll take it offline, okay? Joanna and then Susanna. So there's Joanna right there. And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, 
And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, there were some rich people in the Bible that were following Jesus, right? There was Lydia, the seller of purple, who comes to my mind in, in the city of Philippi. But these ladies, out of whatever they had, they were supporting Jesus. So then we have Mary Magdalene, and we're not going to go into any detail there because her name is in every one of these lists. Now we have Mary, the mother of James. I want to make a couple of points here. There are a bunch of Marys in this section of Scripture. There are so many of them, in fact, that nobody's sure how many. It depends if they, there's a one phrase that you're going to see, the other Mary. Is it pointing to one that was already listed, or is it pointing to yet another Mary? The other point is there are a bunch of James in Scripture. You have James and John, the sons of Zebedee. You have James, the younger brother to Jesus. You have James, the, the son of Mary. Now, Mary, we'll see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, the mother of James, I'm sorry. And you're going to see another Mary, Mary, the wife of Clopas. I might as well click and not get ahead of myself. Hello, Joyce. Hello, Art. If you can't see, you can always readjust. And the sun, I think we're getting ready to have a storm. I'll deal with the lights and keep talking. So there you have Mary, the wife of Clopas. Some translations say Cleopas. And some people say... Which one was the last one? Okay. Some people say Mary, wife of Clopas, might be the same Mary as the wife of Alpheus. It would be like, say, Joyce is the wife of Wilmer and Joyce is the wife of Hostetter. It's the same lady. Now, we have one, two, three, four so far. Mary, the wife of Clopas, who is sometimes referred to as the other Mary. Now, we've got three Marys up there so far. We haven't talked about Mother Mary yet. So, Mary, the wife of Clopas, the other Mary. Now, we have Salome, finally found one other than Joanne, who has a different name. Can you imagine all these girls are in, uh, when they were girls, were in the school, and the teacher says, Mary? So we have Salome, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Can you imagine trying to raise the sons of Zebedee? The reason they got that nickname was Jesus was traveling through Samaria with his apostles, and Jesus wanted to proclaim the good news, and in that particular instance, the Samaritans didn't want anything to do with it. And James and John said, can we just call down lightning and toast those guys? John grew up a while after that, and he said, we love God because he first loved us. So what about Mother Mary? There's a lot of things that are assumed about Mother Mary. In fact, the one phrase is the assumption of the Virgin Mary. It's not in the Bible. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. One apostle John, all the others are gone. 
the faithful women. So we see Mother Mary at the cross. The Bible doesn't say if she saw him being flogged. The Bible doesn't say if she was on the route when Jesus carried that cross. The Bible doesn't say if she was at the Last Supper. There are some paintings that have her there. All we know is she was at the crucifixion, and we know that Jesus, because his brothers weren't there, asked John to take care of her and take her into his house. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that day on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, John the Baptist, uh, this is not John the Apostle, John, not John the Baptist. He was with Peter on the temple courts when the, when the Sanhedrin took him in and said, we don't want you talking about that guy. He's in prison overnight. I guess somebody else was watching over Mother Mary. And then they were brought up in front of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin said, you're not supposed to do that. And Peter spoke up and he said, it's better to obey God rather than man. And then they went back out and preached some more. So John was street preaching. Mary, I don't know if she was making soup for supper, but you see right there, he took her into his home. We don't see anything else about Mother Mary in the scriptures at all Except right here. This is that window of time. Yes? Why isn't there more of that Mary in the scriptures? Is there an answer to that? Or were they protecting her? Mary was the vessel that brought an immaculate conception. She wasn't immaculate. It was the conception that was immaculate. She was the one who nurtured that boy from babyhood through preteen, 12 years old in Jerusalem. Can you imagine? I one time lost my son John in a clothing store because you know how the, the racks of the ladies clothes. They have the racks, and then this was, in fact, it happened over at the Marshalls. They have the racks, and they have these little cross pieces that are higher. Well, he goes in there and he steps up on the cross piece. We couldn't find him. We couldn't find him, okay? So then we tell the manager, and the manager locks the store down. He's 35, so it's happened very some time ago. He got afraid that, that it wouldn't come out. <laughs> so we're searching the store, searching. Jesus was lost for three days. They had no lockdown. Kids were being sold off as slaves. I'm sure there was sex trafficking then as there is today. Can you imagine that poor woman's heart? Maybe that's what gave Joseph the heart attack. We don't know. So she went from there. Jesus is grown. Jesus is having his ministry. She believed in him because she asked for him to turn to do something about the wine can. But his siblings didn't believe. You read John chapter 7. And then she is not around. In fact, we could tell that Jesus is beginning to distance himself because at Cana, he said, Woman. He didn't say mom. He said, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Later on, somebody said, Blessed are the breasts that nursed you. And his response was, 
Blessed rather are those that believe in the word of God. So, my daughter Rachel went to a Catholic university. It was free. I said, you can go, but I'm going to pick the theology class. They had to have so many theology classes. And she came home one day with this book. The title of it was Mary Co-Redemptrix. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Miss Kay. Mary Co-Redemptrix. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, a man Christ Jesus. Well, the Pope is dismissing a lot of ideas because that poor church is hemorrhaging members. They dismissed Joe Biden. <laughs> They're hemorrhaging members. <laughs> and Germany's having big troubles right now, yes. Yes. So, in our Sunday school class, public service announcement, we're studying the book of Hebrews. And then the book of Hebrews, they're talking, we're not going to be in chapters 5 through 7, they're talking about Jesus, our high priest. Now there was more than just one priest, there was the high priest, and then there were the other priests. What was the job of the priest? Do you know? Gotcha. Sacrifice. Do we need any sacrifices today? No, why? He made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus died once for all. Alright? Now, the priest not only did the sacrifice, but the priest was also the go-between. He would take that blood of that sacrifice, and whatever the, the particular uh, ceremony was, he would either be sprinkling it or taking it into the holy place. But it wasn't the individual. And they were doing that for... Dealing with sin. I don't have to go to a priest to confess my sins. I go to Jesus. That's exactly right. I go to Jesus. And so, I don't know how we got on that because we started talking about Mary. So, in fact, there's a church that's built right next to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's called the Chapel of the Tomb of Mary. Now, how does that fit in with Mary's body being assumed up in heaven? They had to tweak the theology and they had to say, well, yeah, this is the chapel of the tomb of Mary, but the tomb's empty. This next thing is not a Catholic thing, but it tells you how gullible people can be. If you go up to the Mount of Olives, there's this great big slab, it's not concrete, it's or something. It's a real stone. And in the middle, there's this little indent. It would be like if you pour concrete, one of the pieces of aggregate pops out and you have like a, a little divot there. That's Jesus' token when he pressed himself up and walked into heaven. And people are taking that stuff in and I'm scratching my head and saying, what is wrong with you? We might get this could get interesting. So if those doors crack open, we're going to have to be extremely flexible. Okay? So 
This is all I wanted to say about Mary and tie her together with all those other Marys and all those other James. Let's come back to the class here. No other mention of Mary, but plenty of tradition. So this is the verse we started with. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, people will try to tell you it was Peter and John. And when, Peter, and when John got to the door, he stopped, and Peter went in first. But the ladies were there first. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. Remember that one, that one slide, the everlasting light? The clothes gleamed like lightning stood beside them. The everlasting light. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord. Christophany with a question mark. I'll come back to that after I read the verse. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. Now, in that second night, we studied that phrase, the angel of the Lord. And every time I tied the angel of the Lord with a Christophany, an appearance of Christ. And so I have a question mark here, is this a Christophany? And the answer is no, because in all those Old Testament scriptures, it said, the angel of the Lord. This one says, an angel of the Lord. And the second thing is, it says that that angel came down from heaven. And we're going to see, in fact, we're going to spend a great deal of time on it. Jesus hadn't gone to heaven yet, so he couldn't come back. We'll see that. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Now, what's that? That's a welder. Okay? Has anyone ever made a mistake at looking at a welder or somebody working on the satellite towards without having that mask on? Anybody ever do that? How'd your eyes behave afterwards? They were shot for a while, he said. How about you, Mark? Same thing? Couldn't see for a while. Couldn't see for a while. When I was a kid, my mother had this camera. I think she used oversized bolts and she used to take like 20 pictures. And once she was done, I had all these spots in front of my eyes. And that was this little light bulb. You must have had the same kind of mom, Kay. <laughs> it says. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Lightning can be a billion volts, and I've got a 200-volt welder at home. If you're quick at the math, it's 4.5 million times more powerful. So Jay, Art, if you couldn't see after you took a look at that art welder, imagine if you had 4.5 million times the brightness hit you. And it was early in the morning, so what are your eyeballs doing when it's not quite so bright? What do those pupils do? They dilate. They open up. So you get more light in. So you get 4.5 million times that in a bright day you would have had your pupil teeny tiny. And so the Bible says this, that those men fell like dead men. 
The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. Not to mention that they were blind. So the guards have a report. Joseph of Marimathea asked for the body of Jesus. Pontius gave it to him. The Pharisees come in back behind him. And they said, we're afraid they're going to steal the body and the rumors are going to be worse than the first place. And so the Bible says that they made the tomb as secure. King James as says, as sure. The psalmist says, his word is sure. They're going to make it as sure as they can. So what they would do is they would send groups of soldiers, 16 at a time. That's how they would guard things. 16 at a time. What do they do with soldiers if a prisoner escapes? Oh, okay. Jay got it. James got it. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say the disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now there are two problems with that. I first I mentioned the first one, and what was that again? They had a double problem there. If they lose a prisoner, they get killed. If you fall asleep on the job, you get killed. And that's just the first problem. Acts 27:42 talks about. When Paul was being taken by the ship to Rome, and the ship was going down, and the centurion was going to kill everybody, and Paul stopped him and said, look, everything's going to be okay. The centurion was afraid that he and all the soldiers were going to be killed. But then there's the other problem. If they were sleeping, how do they know the disciples did it? Duh. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Now this is a busy slide, and I don't know if you can read it from the back. You okay? How you doing, Homer? I love you, buddy. This is the sequence of events. We've already read in Luke 23 that the women come to the tomb, and then Mary, mother of Joseph, they come to the tomb, they see the angel, and they go back to meet the other women. Meanwhile, Peter arrived. Uh, Mary Magdalene returns weeping, sees the angel, and then Jesus, and Jesus says, Touch me not, but go tell the disciples. So there's the appearances in sequence, but there are two that I want to point out. Mary Magdalene and the ladies that worshipped at his feet. Now here's the issue. We're now down to touch me not. See right to number five, touch me not. We're now into the next topic, which is touch me not. Mary Magdalene versus worshipped at his feet. Woman, he said, this is Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. King James, touch me not. Now this is the woman at the well. I'm not the woman at the well. The woman at his feet. This is 
several appearances later. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. He was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. We're going to talk about Thomas. Now, we'll come back to this particular verse. He is risen and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. The angels meet them, meet, meet them at the tomb. The angels say, go take the message to the apostles. They go towards the apostles and Jesus meets them. Suddenly Jesus says to them, Greetings! What's happening? They didn't say shalom because otherwise that would have said peace. I don't know what kind of greetings he said, but he greets them. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Now, Willie, we've covered this in Sunday school, so you know the answer to this thing. What happened that Jesus would say to Mary Magdalene, Don't touch me. And then it says to the well, then allows the women to hug on his feet. Something very special happened. When did the patriarchs finally get to go to heaven? That's what we're going to answer in the next few, for the next few minutes. Because when one of those Old Testament saints died, don't ask me about Enoch or Elijah. When one of those Old Testament saints died, they did not go to heaven. They went to paradise because Jesus the high priest hadn't given, as James would say, the ultimate sacrifice yet. So we'll be covering that as well. So touch me not, verses they clasped his feet and worshipped him. We saw 15 through 17, but we didn't see the second half of verse 17. He says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my Father. So that begs the question, where was Jesus from the time he was taken down from the cross to the time when those women held on to his feet and worshipped? He says, go instead to tell my brother, to, to go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So what was Jesus doing that Sunday between Mary and the other women? sundown. He was on the cross and he was getting buried. Where was he on Sunday? Up from the grave he arose. Where was he on Saturday? Where was Thomas on Easter Sunday? Those are the questions we're going to answer and then we're going to take a quick break. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. This is the thief on the one side. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Today, I tell you the truth, you'll be with me in paradise. Where was Jesus? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Where was Jesus? Paradise. Okay. Friday into Saturday, he was in paradise. I've got quotes because we've got to explain what that really means. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, in 2 Corinthians, we see something different. The Bible says, and I, 
Paul was writing this. I, Paul, know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. Revelation 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Both of those sound like heaven, don't they? Okay. Since paradise could mean heaven, we have to go a little bit deeper. Where was Jesus? Psalm 16. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me in the grave. The word Sheol could mean grave or hell or pit. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now decay. Acts 2. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. They had a hope, death had a hold on him, and the answer question is where? Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let me, let the Holy One see decay. There's that word Hades, and that word Hades is translated several ways. Sometimes it's translated grave, and sometimes it's translated hell, and sometimes in the modern versions it's not translated at all. They simply say Hades. And I'm convinced they're using the word Hades because if I said to you, this is just a quote of my really sayings, go to Hades. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring, does it? It's just like there's some churches that don't say an S word. Sin. Alright? So where was Jesus? We'll take that same verse, Acts 2, and we'll put up two different translations, NIV and King James, and both are going to have real good value for us. Where was Jesus? Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay, NIV, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Where was Jesus' body on Saturday? In the, in the grave, in the tomb, NIV. Where was Jesus' soul on Saturday? Do not leave my soul in, in hell. Okay, so what was Jesus doing in hell? Oh, better than that. For those who didn't hear, he's getting the keys to the kingdom. Okay? His body was in the grave, and his soul was in hell. Where was Jesus? Friday afternoon through Sunday morning? In paradise. The soul. What was he doing there? For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. When this carcass finally croaks, I'm moving forward with the rapture. But if I'm disappointed and that doesn't happen, if this body croaks, keep in mind it's worth about 89 cents in chemicals, for most of it is water. And I don't care if they torture me or bury me or throw me in the lake. I don't care. But my soul and spirit 
The book of Ecclesiastes says that the body returns to the earth, the soul and spirit return to God and David. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. So what was Jesus doing in hell? Preaching to the spirits in that prison who disobeyed long ago. I want to take a look at that word, preached. When people use that verse 99% of the times in scriptures, they're talking, I'll come back to no clue in a second. They're talking about the word evangelizo, to give good news. If they're simply making an announcement, they're using the word caruso, which means to be a herald. Now I'm going to use an Old Testament example, even though they weren't using Greek, but the, the example will make sense. In the book of Esther, the king, because of Haman, said, we're going to make this decree that all the Jews on a certain day are going to die. When that herald took that message to the 127 provinces, it was not good news. He was carousing, he was not evangelizing. That word in 1 Peter is caruso. He was saying, I've got news for you, but it's not good. I died for your sins. Now, I have that no clue down there because I have no clue why it's just the audience of those people before Noah that were, that were listening to this thing. I don't know. I don't see it in Scripture, so we'll just go on. It was too late for them because the Bible says, As it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. So where was Jesus? Friday afternoon through Sunday morning? In paradise. Sunday, paradise. Earth, heaven, earth. He comes from paradise because the angel said to the women, He is risen. He is not here. And it wasn't just the body. The body's moving around like a mannequin. Or a puppet. Mannequins don't move very well. His body was reunited with his spirit. He was alive. So the spirit comes from hell, reunites with the body, visits with Mary Magdalene, don't touch me, goes and visits his father, and then comes back to earth for those other women so they can say, you can hold on to me and worship because I've been to the father. And if you want to hear what he was doing with his father, come to Sunday school. We're going to cover Hebrews 5 through 7. Where was Jesus in between his two Sunday earth visits? You see Sunday uh, earth one and earth two. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And there's the other verse with the women. Where was Jesus in between? Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 says... But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity in his train. Captivity were all those Old Testament saints. They all came with him. Several slides ago I had up there. When did the patriots finally, the patriots, they're in New England. When did the patriarchs finally get to go to heaven? It was when Jesus told Mary, I'll see you later, and off he went, and he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts to men. 
he ascended mean? Except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions. Remember when you said, what is paradise? It could refer to heaven, it could refer to somewhere else. And here you see he was talking about the, the lower regions. He ascended, that means he descended into the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And that's why the Bible says, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now rather than getting into this next topic, we're going to take our break now. When it says 720, we're going to start again. So during break, Jay asked a question. He said, he was always taught that Jesus went to hell, and I said Jesus went to paradise, and I said they're both right. We know Jesus went to paradise because he said to that thief, this day you shall be with me in paradise. We know he went to hell because we had up there an axe that said, you'll not let my bottle, you'll not let my soul stay in, in hell. Okay, so then how does that work? I'm in Luke chapter 16, and this is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The Bible says that the rich man dressed in purple and he fared sumptuously, but the beggar sat and begged and the dogs licked his sores. And the Bible says that when Lazarus died, the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. But when the rich man died, the Bible says he woke up in he woke up in torment. He woke up in hell. Now, here's paradise. Here's hell. Somehow that rich man was allowed to talk to Abraham, who was on the paradise side. And the rich man said, send Lazarus over here so that he can take his finger and just put a drop of water on my tongue because of this flame, the hell side. Now, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm in Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to start with verse 25. And I want you to hone in on the word said, not yelled or screamed or anything else. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in my lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between you and us, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. That would come from thence, then he said, this is the rich man, then he said, didn't scream, have a conversation. And so when Jesus was on the paradise side, he was heralding to the people on the hell side that too bad for you, it's too late. As it is appointed unto man, once the judgment, once the death, after this, the judgment. I'll just finish reading here. Jump down to verse 29. Abraham saith unto him, 
They have Moses and the prophets talking about the rich man's brothers. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. So the picture of Jesus, isn't it? And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We're talking about the resurrection. Okay. So we covered the ladies, and now we're going to talk about the gentlemen. Ladies, then gentlemen. Where was Thomas on Sunday? I asked that question a little while ago. The Bible doesn't say. But I'm going to give you a good guess. Was he hunkered down away from the other apostles? Because that first Easter Sunday night, Jesus came and Thomas wasn't around. So if he was hunkered down, he was hunkered down somewhere else. Did he travel to Galilee and then come back the following Sunday? Now, where do you get that, John? Look at this verse. This is the angel telling the ladies, go and tell the disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Now, we're going to parse this sentence. The angel didn't tell Thomas, go to Galilee. The angel told Thomas, he's going ahead of you in Galilee. So, if Thomas took that to mean, I'm going to go meet him, then that explains why Thomas wasn't around that first Easter Sunday evening. But suffice it to say, the reason he wasn't there was so that the following Sunday, what a great quote, my Lord and my God. So let's take a look. There you'll see him. That was the end of that verse, okay? What we know of Thomas... We, here, <laughs> that's where we get the phrase doubting Thomas because he said, unless I put my finger into his hand and my fist into his side, I will not believe. Doubting Thomas. But Thomas was a little bit rambunctious, almost as much as Peter. Let's take a look there. Eleven sixteen. This is talking about the time when that other Lazarus was dying. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with them, that we may die with Lazarus. He was, I'll say, impetuous. He was impetuous. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He is saying that to Jewish men. The Jews always believed in Jehovah. And Jesus saying, you already believe in Jehovah, believe in the Messiah too. You believe in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? Who remembers the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland? If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter which way you take, is what she said. The truck driver said, I'm making good time, but I'm lost. <laughs> Jesus said, you know where I'm going and you know the way. Thomas said, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus' response was, I am the way and the truth and the light. There's one way. 
There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby he must be saved. So Sunday number one, talking about Easter Sunday, and Sunday number two, the Sunday after Easter, John 24. Now John Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Can you imagine? Now there are two fellows that are not going to cover tonight, we're covering them right now as a matter of fact. They were on their way to Emmaus. And on the way they said, hey, did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus is there and they don't recognize him. He says, no, what? And they said, you must be under a rock if you need to know what happened. And they talked about the crucifixion. And along the way Jesus tells us, Appearances to the men. Yes, James. Thanks for um, changing my car because I I am comfortable getting my own blood, but when someone else is bleeding, I do not feel comfortable. You don't feel comfortable? Guess what? If we have an opportunity to see Jesus' blood, He's going to make sure you're comfortable. There won't be a problem. So there's the laundry list. Well, we're not going to go through them all, but I want you to point out 
in 1 Corinthians 15 on the mountains of the apostles and to 500 brothers and sisters and the rest of that verse says, and most of those are still alive today, not the year 2021. But this was written, and there was a man, I believe his name was Lee Strobel, and he was, a, he was not a believer, and he decided he was going to prove there was no such thing as the resurrection. I believe he was an attorney. And he studied and he studied and he studied. And based on... He was a journalist. He was a journalist, thank you. He must have been an old journalist because he really studied as opposed to parrot what somebody else has to say, right? And what did he conclude? The evidence is there. Jesus rose. Okay. So here we are in John chapter 21. And there's Jesus on, the, on the, the, the side of Galilee. He's there with a fish. Now I want you to know, I got to go to Israel. And I stayed at this hostel on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And it looked just like that. So, so there's Jesus. And there are seven of his apostles out there in that boat. So there's the Sea of Galilee, interestingly enough, shaped like a heart. So there's the Sea of Galilee, shaped like a heart. Jesus stilled the winds and the water. And the disciples there were amazed. They said, even the wind and the waves obey him. There was Jesus, and they took the net. They were fishing all night long. And you know how those nets work. They throw them out, they roll them out, and they pull them up. And I'm sure pulling up that net is hard work. And they're doing it all night long. And they did that for a living. And they're coming in at dawn, they're done, and they're exhausted. And Jesus says, hey, catch any fish? Well, he knew they didn't catch any fish. Jesus says, Throw the net out on the other side. It's like telling a horseman, get on the horse on the right side instead of the left side. And the, the guys are sitting there saying, you're a carpenter telling us sailors, telling us fishermen what to do. But at your word, we're going to do it. So they threw it in and they got so many fish, the Bible says their, their nets were beginning to break. Peter caught a single fish with the tax money that the fish had in his mouth. What are the odds? First of all, for me to catch a fish, the odds are way, way against me. But to catch a fish with enough money to pay my taxes, that would really be something. It was up in that top left corner. I stayed right here, but it's right here where Jesus fed the 5,000, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And it was down here, and we took a car and drove along there, and right there, there's a cemetery still there with super old tombstones, and that's where the gathering maniac was. And all that stuff happened around the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. They were there in the very beginning of those three years. He says, come follow me. Now that word follow is interesting because even though we're taking a tour of these Gospels, we're going to come back to John chapter 21. The first thing he hears is, come follow me. In the little place he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of... Yeah. Fishers of men, yes. 
And at once they left their nets and followed him. Not fishermen, fishers of men. Fishers of men, yes. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. He was the leader and he was leading them the wrong way. He was showing self-will and human leadership. So who does he take? Peter's going, but he takes with him Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and two others, and we don't know if they're Andrew and Philip, they're not named. That, that night, they caught nothing. Deja vu? Okay, deja vu. Hey guys, did you catch anything? Now the word that they're using there for guys means children. So he really was being pretty smart, and he says, Kids, you didn't catch anything, did you? That's the way it was. It should have been translated according to the JTS, or the JT, the JSV. That's the John Scrabbeck version, the JSV. It's the Lord. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. I like the King James, and you're going to see very shortly why. The King James says, fire of coals and there with fish on it and some bread that word that they're using from, for coals is anthracia where you get the word anthracite I grew up in the anthracite coal regions a fire of coals but that's not why I like that, that translation because the other one uses the word coals also right there John 18, this is not John 21, this is John 18. This is the, the denial of Peter. And all of chapter 21 is focusing on Peter. The first thing that I showed you was when he was there with his brother, and Jesus says, follow me. The second thing, we're going to fast forward to his time of denial. And we read, it was cold and the servants and the officials stood around a fire. King James says, a fire of coals. The exact same kind of fire. Now we're really going to see a deja vu coming up here, okay? And the Bible records that they caught 153 fish. Now why is that important? It's not really important. It's a lot of fish, isn't it? Okay. Some people say it was the number of people that were blessed in those Gospels. And I, I didn't take time out the bus to count the people. That's what some people try to say. I think that's just way too, way too deep for me. I think they had 153 fish because fishermen count their fish. And they remember their best days. What did they do with those fish? Look at this verse. This is John after he fed 5,000. He says, when they had all they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Now he already had the fish cooked, remember? We read that? He already had the fish cooked. If the same uh, philosophy remains that you don't want to waste those fish, what are you going to do with them? Eat them. Well, a lot of fish for those seven guys. Take them to market. And so 153 fish got taken the market. There's nothing deeper than that. So I don't know why the number 153 there. The secret things belong to God. Come and dine. That's the King James Version. It's a little bit different than what we're going to see in IV. And IV says, come and eat breakfast. The reason I like come and dine is we have a series of verses here that all say come and do something. 
Come and dine. Jesus said, so come and have breakfast. That's the NIV version, okay? Come and see. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. There's not this for Christ. Come and drink. Come. This is the, well, the last sections of scriptures. The spirit and the bride say come. And the let him who hears say come. And whoever is first, he let him come. Come and drink, just like John 7, 37. Let him take the free gift of the water of life. And there you have, amen, come Lord Jesus. So here come the seven guys. Jesus has the biscuits. Doesn't say they have gravy. He has the biscuits and the fish ready. Doesn't say they have a pot of coffee. We don't know. And he says, come and dine. Come and eat. Come and drink. I'm the bread of life. I'm the water. And so they come. Now, I get a big kick out of these pictures, and I use them a lot. Why is there a big X on the guy on the left? Nope. There's a big X on the guy on the left. The story only has seven disciples. There's eight in the picture. He's a fish warden. <laughs> yeah, okay. So there's Jesus. And there are the coals of fire. And there's the lake of Galilee. And one of those guys is Peter. And Peter's sitting there. And three years ago, he hears father. And less than three years ago, they caught more fish to the point where the net was breaking. And Jesus, uh, Peter had taken off his outer clothing. And he sees Jesus and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What was his sin? It wasn't he was in decent exposure. That was, what was his sin? Lack of faith. Yes, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Breaking the net then? 153 fish today. There was the storm. And those guys couldn't even row because of the waves and the wind. And they saw somebody they thought it was a ghost. Peter says, if you're the Lord, bid me come. And Peter comes. And he's walking on the water. And he has his eyes on Jesus. And as long as he has his eyes on Jesus, he might as well repair the water seat. But then he noticed the wind and the wave. And what did he do? He sinks. Now, I think he went down fast. Because the Bible says he yelled out, Jesus saved me. And the Bible says immediately he stretched forth his hand. When I cried, Jesus saved me, he didn't sit there and say, let me think about that. He didn't say, is John good enough? Immediately he stretched forth and he saved me. So there's Peter. And there's the scene. And we just talked about all the things that happened. Not even all the things. But the major things that happened around the Sea of Galilee. And there's Jesus. So then somehow Jesus manipulates and has just Peter with him. And he says, Simon. He didn't call him Peter. There's a distance there. He was Simon. And he became a rock. Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
He asks three times, and three times Peter says, you know that I love you, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper than that, okay? Do you love me? Question mark. Yes, I love you. Question mark. There are three different kinds of words that translate into love. One is eros, and hopefully that's limited to husband and wife. And the second one is phileo, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That means fond of, like Jay and I are buddies, okay? I believe I've got more for Jay than just buddy, and that's the last one, that's agape. Agape is the heavenly love. And what we're going to see is this, there's, there's phileo, that's the fond of, okay, have affection for. Do you love me? When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than the others? Yes, Lord, I'm fond of you. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Peter was hurt. How many times did he say, I don't even know the man? Three times. And three times said, Jesus says, do you love me? You know, I love Luke's account of that denial scene because Peter denied the Lord the third time. The rooster fires off. And Jesus is over in the, the high priest's house. And the Bible says, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Do the same thing. Look. Do you agape me? You know that I'm fond of you. There was a distance there. So this is Peter after that scene. He's writing this. This is some kind of word. Though you have not seen him, you agape him. Now he'd be a real hypocrite if he wasn't agape him himself. Though you have not seen him, what did Jesus say to Thomas, to, about Thomas? He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him. Do you think that stuff is running around in Peter's head? And he's basically regurgitating it to a, a next generation. He said, you believe in him and are filled with an, an inexpressible and glorious joy. The King, the King James says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen. This is where this stuff is building up for Peter. So Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. What was the first sentence Jesus gave Peter? Follow me. And what's the last sentence that Jesus has given Peter? Follow me. Deja vu. And there's Peter. Church history says that he was crucified, but he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus. He has to be crucified upside down. So there's Peter. And he says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. King James says, cunningly devised fables. 
Do you think somebody would die if they knew what they were dying for was a lie? No way. No way. Peter and John ran to the grave. John was the younger. John was the faster. He got to the edge of the, the tomb and he stopped. And Peter goes in and Peter grabs a hold of those grave clothes. The Lord is risen indeed. For we received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> Peter conveniently cut off the last part of that verse. That was the transfiguration. Remember I said there was Jesus and Elijah and Moses and Peter, James and John. And Peter says, it's good for us to be here. Let's build some tents. And the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son whom I will please. Listen to him. Peter, hush for once. He cut that part out when he was writing his epistle. <laughs> I'm sure if the Holy Spirit wanted that to be in there, the Holy Spirit would let it. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He obviously wrote those things before he was being put on a cross, but he lived with those things till the day he died. He said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now there was Peter, James, and John. James didn't last so long because in Acts chapter 12, he was killed with the sword. So there's Peter and John, and they're writing to that second generation of Christians, and they're validating what they're writing by saying, we were eyewitnesses. But now look at what John had to say. He says, that which was from the beginning... Keep in mind, he wrote, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Just like Peter said in that last verse, verse 18. He heard the voice of Jesus. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our own eyes. You see that up in the top verse, the eyewitnesses. And then John goes a little bit deeper and says, Which we have looked at, and our hands have handled. Jesus did many other things. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that were being written. And then you ask the question, why did John write that gospel? These are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. So now we're down to <laughs> three minutes. Well, that's an interesting position to be in. Oh, thank you, honey. <laughs> because next tomorrow we're going to be talking about the return of Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is talking about the importance of the resurrection. And chapter 15 begins 
by telling us what the gospel is. The gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection according to the scriptures. So why is it important? We asked that question earlier in the class because if Jesus had not been raised, we would be still in our sins. And we're going to go... We asked this question earlier in class too. What's the importance of the resurrection? If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Here's the whole thing in a nutshell. If Christ did not rise, the gospel message has no grounds for truth. The gospel message would be a lie, and there would be no reason to believe. We would be just like a lot of people in the world today. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If Christ had not been raised, then we would not have an opportunity to be raised. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ, the first fruits, has been raised. The first fruits is a really interesting feast. And the first fruits occurs on the Sunday after the Sabbath, after the Passover. So there was the Passover, which was that Friday, and Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. We covered that in pretty good detail today. He rose again on what day of the week? He rose again on which feast day? The first fruits. What do they do for the first fruits? It's the earliest harbor, harvest, which would be barley. And they take a sheaf of the grain and they go through the temple waving the sheaf of grain. Now what's different in the temple Sunday that was not the same thing as the Sunday prior? Well, that forget that was on Sunday. It was just, well, what was different than just a few days before in the temple? Well, that the veil was ripped and twain from top to bottom. Could you imagine this priest? He's waving this thing just like they did for 1,500 years prior. They did it in Herod's temple for 49 years, 46 in the beginning of his ministry. They did it in Zerubbabel's temple. They did it in Solomon's temple. They did it around the tabernacle. And every one of them had a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. And here, for the first time, Jesus was the first fruits. And with those first fruits, the barley harvest, there came the Old Testament saints. Now, what happened 50 days later in the Jewish calendar? Pentecost. And what they do on Pentecost? The whole field gets, gets harvested and has five people were saved. When Jesus led the woman at the well to the Lord, you know, the apostles come back and they said, hey, we went to Subway and here's your share, five dollar football. And Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. He said, look on the fields, they are white unto the harvest. And then he says, don't say it's four months to harvest. So the harvest, the fields weren't white. The grain had, the grain was green. What was white? Yeah. The people. 
you wear light-colored clothes so that the sun and the heat can be reflected. He said, look on the field. It's white unto harvest. There are people out there that need us. There are people out there that need the message. And then he says, and I'm so glad for this, he says, you'll reap where you did not plant. He says, so that the saying is true, one man sows and another man reaps. I'd like to think there's a lot of sewing going on right now. I'm not talking about a sewing machine. I'm talking about S-O-W. Sowing seeds into those kids. And I'll be thrilled if one of them received Jesus tonight. But if it doesn't happen, and some little guy somewhere along the road receives Jesus, one man sows and another man reaps because of that man, first fruits. So why is this important? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Thank you. Yes. Mary did too. And Martha did too. And I'm glad you did too, buddy. Because I can see and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You're wasting your time on these benches. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised either. This is written like only an attorney could understand. Christ was not raised. But he's making that point. He's tightening down the argument, tightening down the argument. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. How many times have you have heard the phrase, you're at a funeral, or you're with somebody who's sorrowing, and you say, they're in a better place? Who's heard or said that? They're in a better place. Okay, the hands go up. They're in a better place. If Christ has not been raised, they're not in a better place. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied more than all men. No, he says, if there was no afterlife, I'm still thrilled that I know Jesus. He has saved me from so much garbage. And he has filled me with so much joy that if this carcass drops and that's the end, it was worth it. But it's not the end. It's just the beginning. I'll be able to live like I've never lived before. And that's the importance of the resurrection. But the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is the verse that will take us right into a transition of the second coming. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy strength? The sting of the death is sin. Whoa, that, that was supposed to not do that. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Put that down. When those walls of Jericho came down, what did Joshua have to do? Nothing. Well, they took 13 laps, one a day for six days and seven days for the last one. But he had the answer to nothing. The battle is the Lord's. 
When Gideon had those 300 men, they all say, break the doors, and they see the torches, and everybody thinks that there are 300 platoons, not 300 guys, and they all shout out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They must have shouted pretty loud for all those Midianites to think that there were hundreds and hundreds of them. What did Gideon have to do with that? Nothing. The Midianites killed off each other. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to ask one more question, and I'm going to quit five minutes over. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Jesus Christ the Lord. Okay. What is the victory? Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Have you got some faith? Yep. Yeah, all right. Let's quit right there. To move mountains. Well, I haven't moved any mountains yet, but I'll tell you what. My faith saved me. <laughs> you know, back in that week, office, I was at Steve Whitfield, which was like, I was in Romania, and they were just coming out of communism, and the wheat was white on the harvest. Uh -huh. He said, you know what, that's in the King James, but the revised word says, right on the harvest. But it gets right on right on the chair shows. Uh -huh. You know what else is really interesting? King James uses the word tares. They sowed the tares with the wheat. And then they translated that wheat. You know what a wheat does when it ripens versus a tear? When the wheat ripens, it bows. The tear stands. Yeah, like if you visit 